You're listening to a series from the Book of Mark. Come and see, believe, and follow the Messiah from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. For more audio and other resources, visit theaxischurch.org. Well, welcome and good morning. I'm Jeremy, one of the pastors here, and I'm glad that you've gathered with us this morning. Go ahead and turn, if you haven't already done so, to the Book of Mark. Uh, it's there in your New Testament, just after Matthew. Um, and if you don't yet have a Mark field journal, uh, we have those at the table. Teddy's got some back there for you. Um, it's a gospel of Mark with uh, journal pages, every other page of scripture for you to jot down your observations, questions, pushback, uh, encouragements, all that sort of stuff. So uh, those are there for you to use. This is week 59 in our study through uh, this fantastic gospel um, of Mark, a series that we've entitled Seeing, Believing, and Following the Messiah. Here's three types of people in this room. Um, There are those who are Christians, uh, people who have placed their hope and trust in Jesus Christ, and they daily fight the drift and they are prepared for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second group of people that are among us are those who are Christians. They've placed their hope and their trust in Jesus Christ, yet the cares of this world and so many other things calls their attention to drift to the point where they're apathetic towards the things of God at times and drifting awfully quickly towards indifference. And then the third group among us are those who are not Christians yet and are not at all prepared for the day of the Lord and his return. My hope through our text this morning and the preaching of this word is that those who are not Christians yet will be made Christians and be fully prepared and equipped for the return of the Lord and can look towards the future with hope and peace, excitement, that even today, Jesus might return. And those who are Christians and are fighting the drift and are fully prepared and are active in keeping a watch on all things, considering the Lord and scripture, that you'll be motivated to continue on your healthy trajectory of making much of Jesus, holding fast to him as you make your way through this world. And then that third group, The second that I mentioned are those who are Christians yet indifferent. My hope is that through something this morning that maybe Jesus says uh, from this text that you will be encouraged and spurned on towards back into your identity in Christ, drifting, uh, pulling away from that drift towards indifference. Um, I hope that you're encouraged to pursue Jesus with a greater steadfastness and pursuit this morning. Well, Jesus here, uh, this is the last week in his life in the text in Mark chapter 13. And it's the week of Passover. You know, he died um, uh, during the week of Passover. So Jerusalem is just overwhelmed with lots of people, lots of commotion, lots going on. Pilgrims, Jewish pilgrims from all over the Middle East are making their way to the Holy City for uh, observing the Passover feast. Not everybody, but most people have heard of Jesus at this point, uh, especially those in the city of Jerusalem, because he's been in the temple teaching so often, for years, in fact. Uh, They know that he's a rabbi, a teacher. Some think he's a prophet. Um, Some have seen him perform uh, miraculous healings. And then they've heard him say that he can even forgive sin. So they've got, he's got their attention. A lot of people know who he is. The religious people don't don't care for Jesus because he's calling out their money-making schemes. Um, He's robbing other rabbis of the attention that he's getting now because he's teaching, as we're told multiple times through the four gospels, he teaches with such authority and control uh, and poise and conviction, so unlike the other teachers and rabbis, it says. 
Um, and so they're pushing back on him. They're wanting to silence him. Uh, they're throwing off their, he's throwing off their vibe, that sort of thing. So Jesus, what he does is he's active in the temple teaching um, every day in the last week of his life. He's there teaching every day. It was his custom to teach there often. But the last week of his life, he dedicated teaching in the temple day after day after day. And then in the evenings, he would slip off to a little suburb of Jerusalem called Bethany, most likely staying with his buddy Lazarus, um, who he brought back from death. It's a pretty cool story. So the religious leaders, um, over the last several weeks that we've been looking into this book, since like chapter 11, in fact, the, the relig religious leaders, the different groups that really don't like each other, and they only uh, like work together when there's a common enemy. So this, the Sanhedrin, it's the scribes, um, it's the Pharisees, it's the Herodians, it's the Sadducees. These different groups of religious folks around Jerusalem are all working together to find fault in Jesus. So they send different groups, different ones, different representatives to ask Jesus questions, to pose certain things to him so that they can trap him, making a mistake, saying something wrong, so they can cancel him, ruin his credibility. Maybe if he slips up enough, they can have him arrested. That would be cool, right? That's what they're thinking. And maybe, maybe we could even kill this guy to have him totally silenced and removed from the scene. Well, over the past few sermons in our study through the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has bravely and boldly warned the scribes in particular of their self-righteousness, warned them of their uh, religious hypocrisy. And if you were with us during that time when we addressed that particular text in Mark 12, you might have remembered that we, though we taught that, we received it ourselves. We took that as a warning ourselves. And we didn't just think, man, those scribes are ridiculous. We thought, how often we can be ridiculous how often we can drift towards pride and develop some sort of odd religious swagger, which is repulsive to those who are not Christians. It's kind of weird when, when Christians get this religious swagger and pride about themselves. It's really weird to those who are outside the four walls of a church building. But on the inside, it can be this kind of one-up mentality of Christians trying to like look more impressive than other Christians and pride themselves on religious accomplishments and things, and it's toxic and it's ugly. Um, but we often can drift there. And then Jesus taught the importance of our heart's posture in worship, specifically in worshiping giving. You remember the poor widow who put in just two little leptins, two little tiny coins, the smallest possible offering that would be acceptable. She puts those two tiny coins, and Jesus says that she gave more than anybody that day. And as Jesus does this stuff, what he's doing is he's, he's stating the culture of the kingdom of God that he's come to bring about. He's establishing and speaking the values of his kingdom, of the way that he feels life is best, according to Jesus. And it's not in the size of the offering if your heart is cold towards him. That's not impressive. If your heart is warm towards the Lord, no matter what you give, if you give with the posture of your heart in that way, he's like, that is what I'm looking for, is, is the heart behind the gift, not just the gift or the size of the gift. And then just prior to the three weeks of observing Easter and the resurrection, uh, we took a break for those three weeks. We looked at the first 13 verses of this chapter. And so for context sake, I want to uh, read those. So if you'll direct your attention to Mark chapter 13, and, and all, really all throughout this chapter, Jesus is preparing and warning his disciples for the persecution that's gonna come to them. And they'll all die as martyrs. So it's very, very uh, um, uh, necessary for Jesus to prepare them for this. And, and we too uh, can receive this instruction um, 
as we wait for his return, not knowing what is in store for us in the future through our belief in him. But be encouraged by the reading and preaching of God's word. Look at Mark chapter 13 and verse one. And as he came out of the temple from teaching on a particular day, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Look at this temple. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished. Jesus is gonna answer that question in our text for today. He doesn't answer it in these first 13 that we've already looked at. Jesus began to say to them, see that no one causes you to drift. See that no one causes you to be led astray. Many are gonna come in my name saying, I am he, I'm the Messiah, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars, when you hear of rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. These things must take place, but the end is not yet. Nation's gonna rise up against nation. Kingdom's gonna rise up against kingdom. And there's gonna be earthquakes in various strange, odd places. And there's gonna be famines scattered abroad. But these are just the beginning of birth pains as the kingdom is being born, if you will. But be on your guard. They're gonna deliver you over to councils. And this happens, by the way. Again, they all die as martyrs. You're gonna be beaten in the synagogues. You're gonna stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you're to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it's not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child and children rise up against parents and have them put to death and you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. So then how can we endure? How can we endure? Well, with this, we come to our text this morning. Look in Mark chapter 13 and verse 14. But when you see, this is crazy. We've got a lot to cover, and it's odd stuff like abomination of desolation. Y'all ready for this? Abomination of desolation. It's a good tag team wrestling name for the 80s, right? Their famous finishing move be the rapture because you never saw it coming, right? <laughs> Um, yeah, that was rough. All right, the abomination of desolation. But when you see the detestable, the abomination, when you see the horribly defiable, when you see the abomination of desolation, destruction, um, emptiness, devastation, when you see the abomination of devastation in place, standing, established, when there's that spirit of rebellion and evil and darkness that's so obviously present. Now let the reader understand what Mark is saying there. Let the reader think carefully about this. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let them escape. Well, here Jesus seems to be speaking of events that would transpire later in year 70 AD. He said these words before they took place as prophecy, and they happen exactly as he said in year 70. In year 70, Rome reclaimed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. And in verse 14, Jesus is using language 
from the Old Testament book of Daniel, which by the way, Daniel is very prophetic. If you ever want to do a study on Revelation, do it with Daniel. Read Daniel with Revelation, Revelation with Daniel. They, they interpret one another. It's pretty remarkable. But he's using language borrowed from the book of Daniel, telling of the desecration of the temple in second century BC. The abomination in that case was two things. One, there was an idol that was set up in the temple itself, defiling it. And then two, it was desecrated when there was a sacrifice of a pig on an altar to Zeus in the temple. Okay? And then the verses that follow seem to describe the terrible suffering in the first Jewish wars. This was when uh, the Roman armies invaded Palestine, and it took place just a generation after the death of Jesus. The Jews uh, in the first and second centuries, they suffered tremendous persecution. And Jesus is preparing these disciples for the coming persecution that they and their children would experience. But he's also preparing us for unprecedented days that we may encounter for our faith and belief in him. So we'd be wise, we'd be very wise to consider this passage. He says in verse 15, let the one who is on the housetop, on the roof, not go down, not descend down or enter into his house or carry off anything or take anything out. Let the one, in fact, who's out in the, on the farm, who's out in the field, not go back and grab his jacket, his cloak, because time is of the essence. You're not gonna have time to prepare once the end is here. You prepare today for tomorrow. Once it begins, there's no time to ready yourself. In fact, alas, for the women who are pregnant and those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it does not happen in bad weather, like, like winter during a storm. You don't want anything to make this more difficult. Things are gonna be hard enough. In fact, in those days, there's gonna be such oppression, there's gonna be such trouble, there's gonna be such suffering, distress and affliction, a tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be again. And if the Lord had not shortened the length of time and the days, no human being would have been delivered or saved. But for the sake of God's chosen people, the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days, shortened the days of suffering, tribulation. Then if anyone says to you, he echoes what he said in verses five and six, when he said, see that no one leads you astray, many are gonna come saying, I am he. He says something similar here in verse 21. If anyone says to you, look, here's, the Christ, here's the Messiah, or look, there he is. Don't believe it. Verse 22, for false Christ, false messiahs, false prophets are gonna arise and they're gonna produce miracles. They're gonna perform signs. They're, just gonna, they're gonna do wonders. Wonders are those things that happen that just make you marvel, like spellbound. They're gonna come do these things to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. It's that powerful, but it's not possible because they're God's elect. But if possible, they would mislead them. And the word there for astray there at the end of verse 22 literally means to give completely wrong views. So they're gonna come in and deceive people to believing something to be absolutely true that's totally false. He's, he's telling them beforehand so they won't go after them. He's like, this is what's gonna happen. And you're gonna want to go after them. It's gonna feel like the best thing to do, the most natural thing to do, but don't go after them. He's telling them beforehand. In fact, that's what he says in verse 23. He says, be on guard. I've told you all these things beforehand. I've warned you. Be on guard. Pay attention. Watch. See. Beware of these things. I'm preparing you. Don't be tricked. Don't be fooled. Listen to me, Jesus says. 
ready yourself, prepare yourself. And then Jesus shifts the attention. So he's gone from like before his time, two centuries before him. He's speaking currently to these guys experiencing persecution leading up to year 70, future from where he was speaking. And now he's going future even for us today to his return. There's a lot of apocalyptic, a lot of like suffering in all these different three or four phases that he's speaking of in this passage. So Jesus is now gonna speak of his return. Look in verse 24. But in those days after the suffering and persecution and trouble and, and, uh, and tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven, from the sky, and the powers of the atmosphere, the powers of the universe, the powers of the, in the heavens will totter, will waver, will be shaken. I mean, all that seems so sure and steady is going to be shaken. Cataclysmic carnage. It's hard to imagine. It's even harder to describe. It seems as if all things will be completely falling apart as if literally the sky is falling. The powers in the heavens will be shaken. I find this extremely relevant since March of 2020, where we saw over the last three years, we've seen so many things that we felt pretty sure about, pretty confident about, totally shaken, like upside down, not even knowing who to trust, what to trust, what's the truth, is there truth? I mean over things that we've never even had to second guess. We need to receive Psalm 62, verse one. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock, my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. The atmosphere may shake, the earth may totter, but because of Christ, I will not be greatly shaken. Therefore, he is good to be considered your fortress and your salvation so that you can run to him like a refuge in time of trouble. You don't wanna run in a time of trouble to something that's shakable and will close in on you. You wanna go somewhere safe. That is Jesus Christ. That's Jesus. That's what he came for us to see and believe that he's good enough for it, that he can hold us, protect us. All this destruction, all this confusion, all this persecution, fear, and trouble. Verse 26, and then, in the midst of all this, they will see the Son of Man arriving in a cloud with power and great glory. Oh, how bad it's gonna be. But then Jesus. You can read about this in Revelation 19. When I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is faithful and true. We're waiting for this day. This has not happened yet. The rider on that horse is faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems and crowns, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, to judge, to judge. And he will rule them with a rod of iron and will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. 
And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Imagine that. And then they will see, they'll witness the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, arriving in clouds with extensive strength and might and capabilities and power and glory, splendor, majesty, and greatness. Jesus will arrive the second time, the way he could have arrived the first time. You see, the first time Jesus shows up lowly, meek, and suffering, he was judged for sinners. He was judged as a sinner in our place. The second time, he's coming high and exalted in order to judge sinners and gather his people. Now, for Christians, this is exciting. It's like, let's go. This is what we're waiting for. This is it. And for those who aren't Christians, this is dreadful and terrifying. This should trouble you to your core. This should cause you to not sleep at night for good reason. But it doesn't have to stay that way. You can have peace of mind, peace of heart through Jesus Christ. Verse 27, then he will send out the angels and gather his chosen, his elect from the four winds, all these different directions from the extreme limits, from like the ends of the earth and the ends of heaven. He's gathering Christians. He's come to gather his people. He's come to gather the elect, his chosen people. And he's come to judge those who are not his people, those who reject him. He sent throughout history prophets. He sent judges. He sent priests. He sent watchmen. He sent apostles and disciples and teachers and shepherds and pastors and elders and deacons and missionaries and evangelists, all to prepare his people, his chosen people, the elect, for this day. when It's the day of the Lord when he returns. He's sending angels to gather those whom he has predestined and called and justified in order to glorify them and prepare them for heaven. Romans chapter eight puts it this way in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. Well, then what shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now receive this reading from, Mark, from Romans chapter eight. I'm continuing to stay in this passage, but do so thinking of Mark chapter 13 with all this tribulation stuff. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Well, then who is to condemn? Well, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is currently at this moment at the right hand of God, who indeed is currently interceding and praying for us on our behalf. Well, then who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, desolation, if you will, 
Persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Sounds a lot like what Jesus has been talking about. Well, that separates? No. In all these things, we're not just more than these things. We're, not just con- we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I'm sure of this, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor the unknown of things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Christian, those in this room who have been called by God, predestined according to his mercy and grace, fear not. When you think about the day of the Lord, when you think about the second coming of Jesus Christ, fear not. You've got nothing to fear. Jesus came not only to be judged for us. He came not only to prepare us for heaven with God, but he also came to give us peace of mind and peace of heart as we endure this life that we must live before we step into eternity with Jesus Christ. And he's telling his disciples here, he's telling us, this is the end of the world, the end of this kingdom, And it's the beginning of a new world, a new kingdom, an eternal kingdom, a perfect kingdom. Therefore, straighten up, look, look up, prepare yourself for this day. Your salvation, your deliverance is drawing near. So straighten up, don't be downcast, lift your eyes up, raise your head, don't hide, don't be afraid. When I return, there's no need to run in fear like Adam did in the garden after his sin. When you hear me coming, get excited the way that Adam used to be in the garden before he rebelled. And when these things happen, my return is near. So let's live out Psalm 43, verse five, holding this close to our hearts, talking to ourselves. Why are you cast down, my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Jeremy, hope in God. I shall again praise him, my God and my salvation. Lift your head and look up like Psalm 121 in verse one. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? I need help. Where does it come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved or shaken, if you will. Going back to Mark 13. And he who keeps you will not slumber, totter or waver. Like Mark 13. And then Jesus explains the nearness of of his return with a parable, an illustration, and a lesson. Look in verse 28. From the fig tree, learn this parable or learn this lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out like sprouts its leaves, like what we see in spring outside right now, you know that summer is near, right? It's inevitable. It's close. It's it's gonna happen. Well, so also when you see these sorts of things taking place, the sprouting of these events, if you will, know that he is near at the very door, at the very gate. When you see these things happen, don't be afraid. Be excited. It's like Jesus in John chapter 16 and verse 33. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. But take heart. I've overcome the world. It echoes Isaiah 26 and verse three, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting, eternal, unshakable rock. So don't be anxious. Don't, don't be unprepared. Have peace and make ready. 
Truly, I say to you in verse 30, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. But now heaven and earth, the universe, all this will pass away, cease to exist. But my words, my message will not pass away. You can trust my words. I'm telling you the truth. You can count on it, Jesus says. It's more certain than the most certain things that you know. What I'm telling you is the truth. Now, concerning when, like the day, the time, the hour, the occasion, no one is certain of this. No one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor Jesus the Son, but only the Father knows exactly when. So he's answering their question that they asked back in like verse five or six or four of chapter 13. But concerning that day, no one knows but God the Father. You see, up until this point, Jesus has been unpacking the what, if you will, like the end of the world, okay? Um, and some of what would happen in year 70 with the destruction of the temple. He's preparing the disciples for that, preparing us for what lies ahead of us. But now in, in this part of the chapter, he shifts his attention to what it is I think that he cared most about in communicating. It's the how. To borrow a phrase from the late Francis Schaeffer, how should we then live in light of what you just told us? You just described to us a lot. How should we live today in light of what Jesus has said in the previous 32 verses? It's this in verse 33. Be on guard and keep awake. Be on guard. That's another word for look. Watch out. Pay attention. Be on guard. Keep awake. In other words, be alert. Be vigilant. Continue to look out for for you do not know when this time will come. This is the main point of the chapter. Be ready, be prepared, and take action, the action necessary to keep your eyes on the coming kingdom of God. It's like in verse 34, it's like a man going away from home on a journey. He leaves his home and puts his servants in charge. He gives them control, authority, and power to carry out certain tasks, each with his own work. And he orders them, he commands them, and the, the doorkeeper, the gatekeeper in particular, to stay awake and be alert and to be watchful because he's gonna come back and he wants the door to be open when he shows back up. Therefore, be alert, be watchful, stay awake, for you do not know when the master, when the Lord of the house will arrive. You don't know if it's gonna be in the evening. You don't know if it's gonna be at midnight. You don't know if it's gonna be before dawn when the rooster crows. You don't know if it's gonna be early in the morning lest he come suddenly, unexpectedly, and find you asleep. That word asleep is one of the top two or three most powerful words in this passage of scripture, in my opinion. That word asleep means lest he find you indifferent. Be watchful lest he find you indifferent to who he is and to his day. And what I say to you, I say to all, in verse 37, stay awake, fight indifference, be watchful, be on alert. Are you ready? 2023, April 16th, right? 2023, are you ready? Are you prepared for the return of Jesus Christ? Don't be tricked. Stay awake, 
Fight the drift, Christian. You're drifting towards indifference. I encourage you to focus on what matters for this moment, for the day of the Lord. Live your life in light of the day of the Lord and his return. The enemy is enticing you towards indifference and apathy towards all this. Don't take the bait. You see the cracker, you don't see the trap. You see the bait, you don't see the hook. You're being tricked. You have to watch yourself. Don't get trapped. Don't get entangled. You're becoming careless. You're being led astray. You're drifting. Be alert. Christian, be on your guard and pay close attention to this. God's coming judgment is unavoidable for all of us. It's inescapable for all of us. No one will be exempt from the judgment of God. You will most certainly experience this. Jesus will return and you will face him. It is certain this will happen to every one of us. This will happen. Friend, you will have to face God. You will. Hear this, know this, and be prepared for this moment. This is the grace of God towards you for you to hear this today. Do not be led astray. Don't let this slip up on you. Don't let it come upon you like a snare or a trap. That's what Jesus is teaching us right here, to watch, to stay awake, to run from indifference to the things of God, to be on alert, to be watchful and ready and vigilant. Are you ready? Are you ready? I mean, what matters most is, is whether we're certain that we're going to stand with Jesus on that day and not swept away into etern eternal judgment. So for you today, will you stand with Jesus or will you be swept away in judgment? Will you hear, depart from me, I never knew you? Or will you hear, enter into your rest? And are you living today for that moment? My friend, every one of us, believe Jesus. Jesus says, if you believe me, that I'm God's son, that I've come to save you, to take your punishment upon myself, that I've come to die for you and suffer for you, to reconcile you back to God the Father, then you've got nothing to fear. You've got nothing to fear. Zero to fear about the future. Zero to fear about the day of the Lord, about his second coming. When he comes, you'll stand before Jesus, he'll recognize you and you will hear, come you blessed of the Lord, enter into your rest, a party, a banquet, a throwdown is prepared. But others will hear, depart from me. I never knew you. Do you belong to God? Do you believe his son, Jesus Christ? He's the one who says, come to me. All you who are weary and exhausted, overwhelmed and labor, and I will give you rest. He's got what you're looking for. He's the only one that can deliver you rest and peace now and forevermore. The mission of Jesus Christ was a saving mission. It was a rescue mission. And his mission was to do all things required for you to be prepared for the day of the Lord, the end of this world as we know it. He came, he lived perfectly, he died, he beat death, all to prepare you for the day of the Lord. And if you're not ready, if you're not ready for the return of Jesus, pray to God this morning and plead for mercy and grace, asking God to give you faith in his son, Jesus Christ. That is the only way. That's it. Ask God to prepare you for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Ask him to give you eyes to see him for how glorious and good he is. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. Ask him to speak your identity over you, chosen, beloved, apple of my eye, my treasure, my child, the one in whom I'm well pleased. 
Ask him to help you live out in that identity every day as you question your worth and your value and your meaning, going back to hear what he says of you, how he approves of you because of Jesus Christ. Pray to him today. And for those of my friends who are Christians this morning, live every day in light of eternity. Stop living for today. Live for eternity. Don't get too comfortable. Don't get too comfortable. You, Christian, are an ambassador of reconciliation. An ambassador is someone who is of another country on foreign soil representing that other home country. This is not your home. You should not be comfortable here in, in a certain way. You are representing heaven. You've been changed by Jesus Christ. You've been forgiven by God Almighty. You've been restored into a relationship with him. And the only reason you're not with him in paradise right now is because he's got a plan for your life to be an ambassador of reconciliation so that other people who are not his will be adopted into his family and be with him at the wedding supper of the lamb in paradise, in heaven. You're here to tell others that they can be reconciled back to God, forgiven of their sin, and given peace and hope and life now and forevermore. That's why you're still alive, Christian. You're an ambassador of reconciliation. Do not get too comfortable. Remain an ambassador. Continue to tell yourself, this is not home. This is not home. I belong somewhere else, and I'm only here on a mission. I'm on foreign soil. This is not my place. Since God's saving, my place is somewhere else. Live in light of eternity and live as an ambassador of reconciliation. I mean, like, like Paul told the Christians in Rome, I beg you, I beseech you, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, that you daily present your body as a living sacrifice to him in a holy way in a way that's acceptable to him. And this is your worship. In fact, do not be conformed to this world. Don't be too comfortable. Don't fall in line with everyone else. You don't belong here. You're here on a mission. Don't get too entangled with stuff here. Don't be conformed to the thinking and to the way of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing and consistency, you may discern what is the will of God for you, what is good and acceptable and perfect. To my Christian friends, do all you can to help prepare your friends and family for the moment when they meet God face to face. Remain an ambassador for the sake of your friends and family and their eternity. Be an ambassador. Don't be a citizen of this world. Keep your citizenship in heaven and remain an ambassador while you're here on earth. Your friends and family are counting on it. They're not prepared for the day of the Lord. They're not prepared. They're gonna be swept away in judgment forever. You have everything needed to point them towards Jesus Christ and the hope that they too can have for the forgiveness of their sins and the restoration of their friendship with God. You've got all it takes. They don't need a pastor. They need you to open your mouth and tell them about Jesus Christ. Do it for their sake and your obedience. As we look out across this world, all that's going on, 
we must look to the Lord. And secondarily, we must watch ourselves. More than watching the news, watching the Twitter feed, watching the world, watching other people, more than all that, you watch yourself. You be on guard, you pay attention, you be watchful. You, on yourself, Jesus says the end's gonna come and there's nothing we can do to stop it. He says, don't worry about when this is gonna happen, but be prepared for when it does and be ready always. That should captivate our attention is waiting for the day of the Lord and being prepared for that, swept away in judgment or standing with Jesus. Jesus is the only way that we're gonna stand at the end and not sent away. I mean, all who know their sin and all who believe Jesus will stand forever. They're the ones who are gonna stand when this is all over because Jesus saves and he protects forever. So look to Christ, give all to Christ, all of who you are every day in light of eternity, surrendering to him, remaining watchful, fighting indifference as you fight the drift. Our hope of standing on that last day as we face God Almighty, this hope of standing with Jesus is in nothing that we do, but only in what Jesus Christ has done. And that work that he's done for us is what we put our mind and heart's attention on and affection on as we share in communion together this morning. During this time, I ask that you think about indifference. In what ways are you indifferent or asleep, not watchful, to use language from Jesus in Mark 13? In what ways are you indifferent to your friends and family not being ready and prepared for this? In what ways do you need to repent, confess, and ask God to give you strength to live differently? Think about this stuff. Don't just hear things like this from Jesus. Don't just hear a sermon and, and, and live the same. Like process, think like, what steps are you going to put to be able to do something with the text that Jesus has just given to you from Mark 13? In what ways are you called to obey? In what ways are you called to do away with certain things and to pursue other things? This is what happens as we share communion. This is part of responding to the preached word. It's not just being moved at certain points. It's not just jotting down some notes. It's not just being captivated maybe in a moment of, of, of a sermon but it's when you leave this place, what are you doing with this? It's not just cramming to pass the exam. Can you operate on somebody? Not just do you know the right answer, but can you apply it carefully, tactfully? That's the mark of a healthy Christian, is one who not just knows, but knows how to apply it and obey it and do something with that knowledge. Otherwise, we're just Pharisees and scribes. Let's be Christians and let's be disciple makers and let's be disciples of the great Jesus Christ who gave himself up for you. And that's what we focus as we come on the table, to the table today, is we remember his perfect life that he lived for you as your representative so that he could pull you near to him. And it's his death that he died in your place as your substitute on the cross, symbolic of the juice and the wine, so that he could pull you near to him forever. This is what we think on. We've got, we've got two self-serve stations in the back. We're gonna have two servers on either side of the stage. You're gonna come and you're gonna take, dip, and taste, remembering the finished work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. We proclaim the mystery of the Christian faith. 
that Christ has come, he's lived, he's died, he's risen. And thankfully, he will come again. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be on this time of communion and worship and remembering and repentance and confession and pondering and meditating and journaling as we seek to obey you more. And Father, remain with us always, even through the end of the age. Amen. Christian, when you're ready, please come and take. You've been listening to a sermon from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org.